0: episode of the Energy Transitions podcast series, experts from Networked Energy Services and Griffin Group take a close look at how to effectively optimize smart meter installations and project execution using various processes and tools. This discussion spotlights case studies from Poland and the Caribbean that benefited from these features. To shed light on this topic, My colleague, Jonathan Spencer-Jones, speaks with three industry experts. I'm Pamela Larg, and you're listening to the Energy Transitions Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Networked Energy Services. Networked Energy Services Corporation is a global smart energy leader in the worldwide transformation of the electricity grid into an energy control network.
1: Hello, I'm Jonathan Spencer-Jones, your host for today's episode on optimising smart meter installations and effective project execution. For this discussion, we will focus on how the features of a smart metering system can support two diverse but common use cases facing utilities today. The optimization of a smart metering deployment and outage recovery after an extreme weather event with examples from a utility smart meter rollout in Poland and the restoration of power following hurricane damage in Puerto Rico. Joining me today are three experts. Jaroslav Babs, Technical Account Manager at Griffin Group Energy. Shimon Konic, Support Technical Account Manager at Network Energy Services. And Larry Colson, Director of International Business Development and Government Affairs at Networked Energy Services. Welcome, and thank you for joining us. Can we start with investigating what the actual optimization cleanup process looks like? And perhaps, Jaroslav, you could talk about
2: that. Thank you, gentlemen. So to begin with, the cleanup is carried out once a specific deployment area is saturated enough with uh, smart meters. This usually means more than 25% of meters replaced to small meters. The discovery and commissioning of the meter occurs, then the data acquisition is turned on. Unsatisfactory acquisition KPIs are a good reason to begin the cleanup process. Meters which are lagging and with data delivery are targeted and analyzed. The OSGP system is capable of providing detailed information regarding signal strength, signal-to-noise ratio, hop count, communication failure history, and whole communication routing tree. Furthermore, the data concentrator offers a comprehensive set of operation statistics, including time spent executing collection of different data types, number of failed communications and etc. Additionally, OV grid schematics are frequently being used to understand physical layout of the grid, like distances between buildings. All above mentioned data is reported and analyzed by cleanup team leads based on their knowledge and experience, Field teams are dispatched with special tools and equipment, Shimon will be talking about, to seek out the cause of problems. They report their findings to team lead who tracks the whole process and makes other suggestions, such as to locate potential repeaters or agents, as we call them, to improve communications. The outcome of those actions can vary from pinpointing a noise source Installing additional equipment such as filters or data concentrators, or making changes in the repetition chain manually, or changing the grid connections if there is such a need.
1: What tools then are used as part of the process,
3: Shimon? Okay, so this is quite simple and complex question because everything depends where you want to go. So, from starters, you need Tools like screwdrivers, cables, some wires that you need to have to connect to an junction box or to any wire that you want to get the reading from. Of course, those are the simple ones. Besides that, you need to have some more technical things like a sniffer to listen to the signal, to listen to, let's call them, packages that are being sent from our meters to the DCNs when they exchange communication. Also, it is worth to have keys, normal keys for the junction boxes for the transformer stations. And those things are always provided by the DSOs. Besides that, proper equipment would be also to have some things to wear on, like rubber gloves, a helmet with a shield that would protect you from potential surge or thunder from electrical thunder, let's call it. Yeah, that would be everything that we had to use. One more thing, there is a spectrum analyzer. That's quite important tool when you actually stumble on a problem in the field, when there are some noises and you need to find out where they are, if they are there. So those are the tools that I would use.
1: So what are the key problems that require cleanup in the field? And Shimon, perhaps you'd like to
3: start? Okay, so the most important thing is, I suppose, all producers have give you plug and play solution and in normal situation when you connect the data concentrator in the transformer station or in other place and then when you connect uh, meters in normal situation they would work and everything would be fine of course there are some issues with other equipment with other things that come in hand when you use current for example that's the most common situation, like light bulbs that you have on some buildings that give you light during the evening or the night. And those light bulbs create a noise. And because uh, of the way the data is being transported over the power line, this noise blocks this communication. So the biggest issue is the noise. And that's the, I would say, most common issue during the PLC communication. Next problem is a human error and that sometimes happens when somebody just makes an issue that makes a mistake while setting everything up and i saw many times like for example the whole street was assigned to a different data concentrator that was quite close but physically in the field it was not connected to it and everything was connected to other dcn that was quite close to it and actually we had to go into the field, connect with the sniffer, see what devices we see. We see what DCNs we can hear or the DCNs we can ping. And then finally we was able to find out that basically, for example, the wiring on the schematics were different. So that persons setting everything up in the system made an honest mistake because actually in the junction box, the wiring was switched you? I don't know for example, overheating of one line on some transformer, for example, or maybe because of issues in the past that there was no current for some customers and they just had to switch it fast so to get them power and later on, they just didn't switch it back. So yeah, human mistakes and noises, that would be the most common things. And then we could go with noises in two more things. One would be, as I said, bulbs, light bulbs that are somewhere connected. On the other hand, we got noises that can happen, but they will be gone in some time. For example, when we are having a construction site and we have situations when there is heavy machinery, it's not protected and it's causing a lot of noise on the grid. And of course, for example, it is working only during the day. After some time, for example, this noise will vanish, will go away because the building will be ready and will be fine. And the third thing that's not very often, but sometimes can cause an issue, is the distance. And this is less cleanup issue. This is more assigning new additional DCNs, for example, to get the communication better. But of course, we had to go into the field or sometimes go through the schematics and just check where exactly we are connected and how long is the distance because, yeah, the distance is also important. So I would say that those are the biggest issues about cleanup.
1: And Yaroslav, can you add to that?
2: Yes. So I'd like to add to the noise category. So in addition to light bulbs, the also quite common noise source are the PV inverters, they more and more common, especially during the transition era from conventional to renewable energy sources. And also all kinds of variable frequency drives, for example, for the lifts in apartment blocks, in shopping malls, and so on. Those seem to be the main sources of noise. And again, due to high cost of filters, those filters are not always being installed from the start.
1: Larry, to change direction a bit, what challenges do storms create for the billing process?
4: I first want to state that the most critical challenge of a storm has nothing to do with the billing process. It is the impact it has on people. We have a utility customer in Puerto Rico that has sadly suffered through several major hurricanes over the last five years. The most recent major hurricane hit the island earlier this month, and that resulted in major flooding and mass power outages for the entire island. And they are still confronting that today. So our thoughts and prayers continue to go out to all these people that are still dealing with this most recent storm in Puerto Rico. But obviously that is the most important, more important than the impact on billing process. However, regarding your question, perhaps the most important feature of an AMI system for the billing process is having reliable and secure two-way communications between the head end system and the smart meters. This enables many benefits, including obtaining accurate usage information for billing customers, So when there are storms that cause power outages, obviously that can have a negative impact on the billing process. But it's important to note that the AMI meters typically read and provide the metering data multiple times each day. So when there is a storm that causes a major outage, the previous readings for the month have already been communicated to the head end system. And this data is available for issuing a partial monthly bill. However, outages have an even greater effect on non AMI meters, such as AMR meters. The utility in Puerto Rico has a significant number of AMR meters, and they provide just a single monthly billing read. So unfortunately, when a storm like this, it causes huge customer service liability since the non AMI meters are not being actively read. In this case, the utility was forced to estimate customer bills who had non AMI meters. And even as the recovery process expanded and more meters were energized, the utility experience issues with their billing process because they were not able to read these non AMI meters due to problems with the AMR network and as well as a lack of employee manpower. It was all hands on deck as it typically is for these huge events at the utility and in order to restore the power to the at all employees are needed. So they're used to work on restoring the system rather than reading the non AMI meters. And of course that takes a higher priority restoring the network itself. So these billing estimates caused irregularities in the billing cycles as a result of the power outage. And due to these automated estimations, customers experienced higher than normal invoices because they were billed for usage when they had no electricity service. And of course, this creates a customer service crisis. In service areas where there are AMI smart meters had been deployed, this didn't cause an issue because due to the neighborhood network approach of our architecture, so, as the restoration began, the NES system started to provide the ability for the utility to again accurately receive the load profile and customer billing data. And this allowed the utility to use real data and avoid having to estimate invoicing for the part of the electric service that was using the NES AMI system.
1: So, how can AMI assist then with the broader outage management and restoration process?
4: Well, so, Jonathan, the short answer is yes it can help but it does depend on the ami solution some are better suited than others since the nes architecture uses an open smart grid protocol osgp based power line technology for communications on the low voltage network it offers distinct advantages over other types of communication technologies and protocols the nes system offers insight and understanding into the low voltage grid distribution network and it provides the ability to identify low voltage wire interruptions or outages. The system maximizes grid intelligence while minimizing operating costs by embedding the communications into the electricity grid, allowing it to analyze the communication statistics and monitor low voltage electricity. So it can analyze things like signal strength, the communication phase, alternate paths, all things that give a picture of how the grid is operating. And this can be used to assist the utility with outage management, and the restoration process. This information can be used to identify problems and outages, and then speed up the repair times for the operations team. By using the unique characteristics of our power line technology OSCP based system, each DCN 3000 and some people refer to it as data concentrators, we call them DCNs or distributed control nodes, but they can determine the network topology and identify connections of actual phases in its portion of the low voltage grid. The DCNs track the linked associations of meters, segments and feeders with its associated transformer and it creates a map that is updated as grid topology changes. This data is made available at the DCN level for use in distributed applications as well as the head end system where the data can be utilized for GIS integration, outage management systems, detailed load analysis, phase balancing and other grid modernization applications. This information can provide near real-time insight into the low voltage grid, providing detailed information about which customers are without power. It also provides updated information as customers have their power restored. And this information allows utilities to quickly narrow down the location of problems to expedite resolution by determining restoration needs, reducing inspection time and costs, and then ultimately reducing customer outage time for a utility such as the one in Puerto Rico that experiences a major storm with complete devastation massive power outages this can have an enormous positive impact for the utility and their customers so as the transmission lines and substations are re-energized the utility will get an updated report and data regarding the low voltage grid and which customers are still without power so this allows the utility to more efficiently and effectively use their crews than to restore power to the remaining customers.
1: Simon, can you point to any standouts that have happened during an optimization or cleanup project?
3: Okay, so I have heard three stories. One is scary, one is, I suppose, funny, and one is a little bit frustrating. One of them won't be mine, and this, I would say, funny one, it's not mine, actually, because Why my colleagues, I saw only pictures of it, and one of my colleagues one day opened a transformer station. It was locked with normal key, with normal lock. And when he opened the transformer station on the low grid side, he saw that there is basically made a small apartment in this place. It was hot because of the transformer there was an actual iron shirt, there was a place to sleep, there was a chair, there was a place to cook a meal, and probably it was a homeless person, but it was a homeless person that was also trying to live normally, and that's interesting, in my opinion, because he was really using this small housing, small transformer place, as his own home. Unfortunately, when guys saw that, they of course had to communicate that to the DSO people, and they had to close that down, But that was the interesting one. The scary one was actually mine, because once when I was making cleanup, I was looking for three specific devices, three meters that we couldn't communicate with. And on schematics, I saw that there are hidden five, maybe to 10 meters underground. And that was a big junction and when cars were going above and underground. And I was informed that there is only one entrance So I have to open it and go through the ladder down. So we always go for the cleanup at least in two persons, usually even three. It's safer this way. But we were only two that time, so my colleague stayed above the ground just to be safe that nobody would close me down there because there was a lock outside and no way to open it from the inside. When I went down, I started to use my light on my head and the biggest shock when I moved to a next room that we wasn't able to see from above and there was a guy, normal engineer, looking on the meters, making some measurements. Um, my first thought was how? It was locked. Nobody was supposed to be there because there is only one entrance. But of course he said hello. Uh, when I went from my shock, I said well, hello back and I asked him how he get here. And he told me that there is another entrance, but it's normally locked because of the traffic and the danger that somebody would go out from the place and be hit by the car. But he didn't got the keys for the above one, so he used that one against the policy. So, yeah, I was really shocked when I saw this guy. And that was the scariest moment for me during my cleanup work. And one is frustrating because there was a swimming pool in one of the cities when I was doing the cleanup. We were... sure that there was a noise. And to work with the noise, you have to assemble the whole team. Somebody's in the transformer station, some people are in the building or in few buildings if you have to turn off power on different places just to find the specific line when this noise is happening. So you could maybe in the future connect a filter and to block the noise and the communication will be working. So there was. 15 lines in this swimming pool junction box and we all was working on the phone it was five of us and when we turned off everything we had to do that in the night because that was a swimming pool and they were making money with the power and we had only 20 minutes because of the pumps so the water would be clean so it was only 20 minutes and around noon and when we turned off all the lines there was no noise so for sure it was this place but when we started to turn off one by one, we didn't find the noise. Until today, I have no idea what was causing the noise. We had to turn on the filter for the whole building because we did 20 minutes, then we turned on everything and waited for a proper time. Then we did the testing one more time and we never was able to find the proper cause. Probably it was the pumps or some automatization, but not on a specific line. And we never find out what was uh, making this specific issue. So that would be three stories. Of course, I could say that there was multiple beautiful places that I was able to see during walking on the streets, just looking for the junction boxes. Or I could say that there were some many gross situations, like in every place. So yeah, that would be another, I suppose, 20 minutes of talking only about the things that you can see just walking on a cleanup in a different place because every city, every place got some beautiful things to find out and the gross want to find out. And Yaroslav,
1: to draw the discussion to a close, what recommendations do you think should be done to limit cleanup efforts? Is there policy, legislation, testing?
2: Yeah, so make it very short, there are standards existing already, which cover both the acceptable levels for the signal voltages and frequency of the PLC devices, and also allowed disturbances called non-intentional emissions originating from other devices, such as induction stoves, lighting, and power electronics. There are also other initiatives, such as the Electromagnetic Compatibility, carried out by the IEC, which basically cover the low-frequency conducted disturbances and signaling in the public low-voltage power supply systems. So, in our experience, it is sometimes very difficult to enforce existing compliance to existing regulations. Just as Shimon said in one of his stories with the swimming pool, basically the filters have to be installed. So that being said, the best approach to limit cleanup efforts would be that all parties involved will act responsibly, meaning that the DSOs will make sure to maintain their grid according to the laws, our electronics manufacturers in particular will ensure that all the goods they produce meet the requirements set out in the all-applicable EMC and EMI standards and laws. And also, this goes out to all of us, meaning the end customers, that will do our best to limit the number the disturbances introduced by devices connected to the grid. So, yeah, let's all do our job and everything will be good. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Thank you for this very interesting discussion. I think it's been doubly valuable. One in that the number of use cases for smart metering has increased as the technology has evolved, but there's still a lot of smart metering still needing to be done in regions such as Europe. So thank you for joining us on this Smart Energy International podcast. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Networked Energy Services.
0: Thank you for listening to this Energy Transitions podcast, brought to you by Enlit and Friends. Visit enlet.world for more episodes. See you next time.